stand. The story started long ago. God created us. He loved us and wanted to be close to us. Everything was how it was supposed to be. But we fell. We sinned. And no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't make it right. But that didn't stop him. He reached down to us. He sent his son. As the perfect sacrifice to save us. One sacred effort to redeem mankind. We are part of this effort. Going across the world to every tribe, every nation, no matter the cost. When we signed on the dotted line and said we want to follow Jesus, that means we left everything behind and that he is now my hopes and my dreams. We share the gospel, plant churches, and make disciples because we believe the gospel can transform lives and communities. We go to the people who have yet to hear. Sharing the story with them so that they can tell others. Multiplying the story of God's grace among all people. One sacred effort. It's just wonderful how we as a body of Christ can come united in one effort to carry the Great Commission throughout the world. When Jesus tells his disciples to be his witnesses, he's not giving a mandate just for that period and that time. He's giving a mandate to the church for all time. As the body of Christ, we're like an orchestra, we're like a band. Each member is so vital, is so important for making beautiful music. For over a century, churches like yours, working together, have sent people around the world through IMB to share God's love with those who have never heard. And if we sent them out alone, then they would not make it because they wouldn't be able to stand. But if we send them out as the church, then they can stand against the world. 100% of your gifts go to helping send out your missionaries to tell the story. Too many times we get so interested in building our own kingdoms, but we've got to look at the bigger picture. Again, this is one sacred effort. All of us coming together to impact the world. 
and we've got to get behind our, our workers and support them. Let's make world missions a priority through our giving to the Light and Moon Christmas offerings so we can support these efforts that are being made all across the world. So as we come together as one body, as one sacred calling to God to touch this world, Jesus will smile on us and will change this world for him. We are all part of one sacred effort to see people across the world proclaiming together at the top of their lungs that Jesus Christ is Lord. In his book, Living Above the Level of Mediocrity, Charles Swindoll writes, In our nation of fast foods and quick fixes, the great hope of Americans is overnight change. And then he goes on to tell a story about a young man who was raised in the back hills of West Virginia. In fact, he says he was raised so far out in the sticks that he had never in his life even been to a big city, much less seen any of its modern inventions. He eventually married a girl just like himself, and they spent all their married life in the backwoods. They had one son whom they creatively named Junior. And around the time Junior reached his 16th birthday, his dad began to realize that it wouldn't be too much longer until their son became a man and would strike out on his own. That troubled him knowing that his boy might end up moving to the city to get a job and not be prepared to face the real world. He felt responsible to do something about it, so he and his wife started saving money for a trip they would take where the three of them would go to the city. About three years later, they had finally saved enough to make the trip, so they tossed their belongings into the back of their old pickup truck and started the long journey over winding, rough dirt roads to the city. Their plan was simple. They were going to spend several days at a swanky hotel and take in all the sights. As they approached the outskirts of the city, Papa began to get a little jumpy. Mama, when we, when we get to the hotel, you stay in the truck while Junior and I go in and look around and then we'll come back out and get you. Flashing neon lights and uniformed doormen greeting them as they pulled up. Mama stayed put as Papa and Junior walked wide-eyed toward the lobby, and neither could believe their eyes. When they stepped on a mat, the doors opened automatically. Inside, they stood like statues, staring at the first chandelier either of them had ever seen. It hung from a ceiling three stories high. Off to their left was an enormous waterfall rippling over inlaid stones and rocks. Look, look, Junior, Papa was pointing to a long mall where busy shoppers were going in and out of beautiful stores. Papa, look over there, Junior said. Down below was an ice skating rink inside. While both stood silent, gaping at one breathtaking sight after another, they kept hearing this clicking sound behind them. So finally, Papa turned around and saw an amazing little room with doors that would slide open from the center. 
What in the world? People would walk up, they'd push a little button and wait. Lights would flicker above the doors and then click, the doors would slide open. Some people would walk out of the little room and others would walk inside, turn around, click, the doors shut, slid shut. By now, Dad and Junior were totally transfixed at this small room with only a single entrance. At that moment, a wrinkled elderly lady shuffled up to the doors all by herself. She pushed the button and waited only a few seconds. Click, the doors opened with a swish, and she hobbled inside the little room and turned around. No one else stepped in with her. So click, the doors slid shut. It had to be magic. For not more than 20 seconds after the doors slid open again, and there stood this fabulously attractive blonde young woman appearing to be in her young 20s, high heels, shapely body, beautiful face, a real knockout. And as she stepped out, she smiled and turned away, walked away. Papa nudged his boy and mumbled, Hey, Junior, quick, go get Mama. <laughs> Seems like everyone is looking for a magic room like Papa thought he found. A quick fix. Push a button, attend a class, buy a lottery ticket, read a book, listen to a message, try some new church or experience, wait a moment for the doors to slide open, some lights to flicker, and click. Magically, our lives are changed. We forget the wisdom of the old saying that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. All that attitude does is short-circuit a progress. But rather than looking to the Lord and the resources He provides for our lives and growth, we start seeking easy answers. It's like raising a child to adulthood. It takes time and effort and training and the help of others for them to mature. When Paul wrote to the Ephesian church, His words that he wrote down were out of a concern for their spiritual growth and welfare, that they not short-circuit their progress by these dead-end shortcuts of fast food and quick fixes. It sometimes can seem so tempting to think that salvation is merely about new birth and forgiveness and expect everything else to fall into place in our lives and put our faith on autopilot. But as Paul will point out in Ephesians, the goal of salvation is Christian maturity. I'll say it again. The goal of our faith is maturity. And to make that point, the Bible uses phrases like growing up in Christ, becoming like Him, conformed to His image, transformed into His likeness. God wants you and I to mature. In Ephesians chapter 4, Beginning in verse 7, the scripture says, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. Notice the words Paul uses in this passage. In verses 12 and 16, his concern is that the body of Christ, you and I, be built up. And he uses a word there that originally was used to refer to construction, of building a house. The picture is of our lives being an active construction site, God working to bring our lives to completion. Verse 13, that we might become mature or complete, or perfect, or whole, or full-grown. Our lives are like a jigsaw puzzle. We're not complete yet, and there's still some pieces missing that God is working to bring together. So that, he says, we might attain to the whole measure. It's a term meaning to reach full stature, or to grow our growth. To become perfect in the sense of reaching what you were saved for. Like a seedling recently planted We're not fully grown yet. He talks about fullness of Christ, of being complete or filled. The picture as of a jar, not yet full, still more to be poured into it. Then he says, we'll no longer be infants in verse 14. In verse 15, we will grow up. In verse 16, we will grow and build itself up in love. Eight times in these few verses, Paul uses words and phrases to emphasize this truth that the goal of our salvation is maturity. And maturity doesn't come with fast food and quick fixes. If that's God's intent, we can be sure He will provide what's necessary to accomplishment. As Paul told the Ephesians or the Philippians, He who began that good work in you will carry it on to completion. But for that to happen, He also says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God working in you to will and do His good will. If you're going to mature, you have to take advantage of the resources He makes available for your growth. You look at the context of this passage, you discover that one of the primary resources, Paul says, God gives for your growth is his body, his church. It's not just a place to attend, it's a resource to mature us. There's no way to really understand this whole section in Ephesians than the importance of being united with other believers. Because not only do the first six verses of chapter 4 call us to live lives worthy of our calling, it says you're not alone. The way you accomplish this is through the community of the saints. Seven times in verses 4, 5, and 6, it refers to what unites us in Christ, what we share in Him. We need to get it out of our heads and learn what it really means to be united together with other believers to think that we're on our own. Paul says we share one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. And despite our pride, which may tell us otherwise, we do not grow in isolation. 
So in verses 7 through 16, his emphasis continues on that, speaking of the body being built up, of the unity of the faith he mentions, the unity of knowledge that he mentions, of the whole body being joined together, held together, it says, as each part does its work. Maturity comes from relationship with other believers as a part of the body of Christ. And that really does speak to the importance of such things as small groups. We often don't realize it, but one of the most significant things we do as a body is get together in groups, small groups, where we get to know each other, where we can support each other and encourage each other and challenge one another, which we can't do in a large setting, but we can do in groups of five or ten. Maturity comes from being in relationship with those who know you and support you. There are many today who spend all their time jumping from one experience to another, from one church to another, seeking some feeling or experiencing, and then wondering why they're not growing. Because they never develop the relationships necessary with people to hold them accountable, to challenge them. You don't grow in your faith with that type of practice. And you may not like to admit it, but you need others for your maturity. The scripture, scripture says we are to bear one another's burdens. How do you do that without developing strong, nurturing relationships? It says we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds. How will strangers do that if you're always on the periphery? So we are instructed in various ways. There's passage after passage. Bryce, would you put this up? I know it's a little small. You won't be able to read it all. Those are all the passages that talk about one another. We're to belong to one another. We're to be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, be at peace with one another, accept one another, agree with one another, look out for one another, have equal concern for one another, greet one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, bear with one another, Speak truthfully to one another. Over 50 times in scriptures, it tells us about being with one another and how to live with one another. 50 times. We need others to share life with. Our struggles, our victories, our challenges. You want to grow apart from the people of God. That's what God created. Being united, though, is much more than simply being on a church roll. In the first three centuries, of the Christian church didn't even have membership roles. It wasn't until the fourth century and the conversion of the emperor Constantine that the church began to develop idea of official membership because what they had before that was community, a sharing of life with those they knew were struggling with the same things they had that bound them together with a common faith, like a family helping one another, strengthening one another, using their gifts and abilities to challenge one another. In fact, in this passage in Ephesians, Paul says, the individualism and self-reliance we prize so highly in our culture is a mark of immaturity. Maturity comes from being bound with the people of God through a common faith. Because just as an infant needs a family to grow, We begin life as new believers, as infants in Christ, the scripture says. We need a family to grow in. 
In verse 8, it says to help us with that. It says God gave gifts for that purpose. Part of those gifts, he says in verse 11, are the leaders of the church. It mentions evangelists and pastors and teachers and apostles and prophets to help in the process of that growth. Not to do the work, but to encourage the church to function as a body and help each other grow. Those with experiences or knowledge or maturity, special gifts to build up the body that we can work together. The word Paul uses, God gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists to equip the saints. That word equip came from a word which originally referred to surgery for setting broken limbs or putting a joint back into place. In politics, it was used for bringing together opposing factions, sides in the government, so it could move on and how we need that in Washington to work together. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it's used for mending nets or disciplining an offender till he's able to take his place again within the fellowship of believers. The idea is restoring something to the condition it's meant to be in. Leaders, Paul says, are to help the people of God to be what they're meant to be. And Polyview, like every church, needs leaders and people willing not just to do the work, but to help get others involved, to challenge and equip the saints for works of ministry, for being connectors of bringing people together. We need people like every other church to do the work, to teach, to train, to equip, to challenge, to build up others. And some of us, perhaps here today, need to start doing that. Others need to be equipped to get off the periphery and be prepared for service. It's necessary because in the end, there's no other way to grow in maturity than active ministry and service. Notice Paul says, God gave leaders as a gift to the church for the purpose of equipping the saints for the works of ministry so that, he says, the body of Christ may be built up. And what hinders that sometimes in our own lives is making this dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. That there are spiritual things we do and then we live our lives and we don't bring the two together. In the scripture, they are combined. You live out your faith in daily life. It is all the scene of God's working and cannot be compartmentalized because the path to maturity leads through service. Several years ago, there was a book written by Edward Bratcher which deals with a problem sometimes leaders often have. You know what it's called? The walk-on-water syndrome. Feeling like you're essential to the work. That if you're not there, it won't get done, or other people can't do it correctly. And sometimes it's easier to do something yourself the way you want it done rather than take the time to build others up and help them to grow. But in Luke 12... After being sent out two by two, the 72 returned to Jesus, exciting, sharing the reports of what happens. And Jesus celebrated with them, it says, in verse 20 of Luke 12, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Evidently, what was going on inside of them was as important or more important 
than anything going on outside of them. And sometimes we forget that. It's not just getting the work done. It's the process also of helping others grow in that. Getting it out of our heads that it's only a few people's responsibility, but all of us together for people to serve. To serve others, whether it's in feeding the poor and the hungry or teaching a children's Sunday school class. Sometimes I know that word organization is kind of a dirty word in the church, but it's not. all it is is about how to get the people of God together to fulfill our calling. So yes, you need help with organizational roles and committees also. The church doesn't need it. Those serving need it. That's the path to maturity. God gave, Paul says, leaders to equip the saints to serve so that the body of Christ might be built up so that we might all become mature, so that we might all attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In verse 16 of Ephesians 4, it says, the whole body grows as each part does its work. In my utmost for his highness, Oswald Chambers wrote, to be a disciple means that we deliberately identify ourselves with God's interest in others. Service. Del Berkey said, a failure to mature means a failure to minister, to serve. We fail to grow sometimes because we take in and we take in and we take in and we don't let out. We don't serve. We're full and can't take anymore. It's like the school teacher who applied for a new job. Her resume said she had 20 years of experience, but then the new principal happened to see her old yellow class notes, and so he called her former boss for a recommendation, and the boss said, she doesn't have 20 years of experience. She has one year's experience 20 times. Sometimes we're like that. We do the same thing over and over and over again. We can do it with our eyes closed without giving a thought to it, without studying God's word. It just, we know it by rote. And we're not challenged. And we're not digging further into God, knowing him more deeply. We need to be involved in using what God gives. John Ruskin said, the highest reward for man's toil is not what he gets for it, but what he becomes by it. Because the path to maturity is through service. Every one of us is a minister. The goal of our salvation is maturity. And that doesn't happen with fast food and quick fixes. There's no magic rooms to step into, press a button, no three easy steps. There's leaders given to the church to help each of us to be equipped in various ways. All are necessary. God wants to use you as a part of his kingdom work. And it may not be leading a Bible study. It may be, though. It may be in serving in some form or fashion. That is your act of service to Christ. What would God call you to do? How would he challenge you as this year comes to a close? And yes, we do have the business meeting Brent mentioned earlier, voting on new officers and budgets for next year. But it's a part of how we serve together to fulfill God's purpose for us as a church and a people. What role does God have for you to play? Will you join me in prayer? Our Father, we thank you that you have that desire 
for all of us to mature, to grow up. And sometimes it seems awfully slow. And we struggle. And we stumble. And we get back up. And you are there each step along the way, God. And I pray that you will help each one of us to know how you want to grow us, God. What you want us to do to fulfill that calling that we have. To build up together your work. To serve together what you want to accomplish. To see one another strengthened and mature. Help us to know and to do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.